Hello, and welcome to this Life Solved catch-up episode. I'm John Worsey, and we'll be back after our break from Thursday the 30th of September with some incredible stories about how research here at the University of Portsmouth is changing lives everywhere. In the meantime, here are some of my favourite bits from our past few series. First up, Mark Hardiman explained how climate change could make wildfire a common occurrence even here in the rainy UK. Mediterranean climate is one of the most nice climates to live in. This is why we all go on holiday to the mm. um, southern Spain and Italy and places like that. Um, but what it will mean and what, what Mediterranean climates are defined by is uh, quite dry summers, um, but quite wet winters, but wet warm winters. Mm. And that's, that's a very that seasonality, and Britain doesn't have as much seasonality, it's quite temperate all year round. We do have summer and winter, but it's fairly, fairly temperate because we're, we have a maritime climate, the sea's just out there. But that will start to change, and we will start to get hot, dry summers, and that's perfect conditions for wildfires. Right. Um, the, to get wildfires, what you need is lots of dry vegetation litter on the forest floor, or, uh, you know, as that dries out, it becomes flammable. Yeah. And, you know, you can get a lightning strike, um, so you get natural fires in Britain, but you can also get people setting fires or not controlling fires as well. Um, and that's how fires start and spread. Right. I'm really interested to see, you know, what, what can the past, in, particularly in Britain, where I live, you know, where my family lives, mm. you know, how is that vulnerable to fire? What role has fire played in the past? And, you know, really, what role is it going to play in the future? Should we be worried? I suppose that's, that's, the, that's the three questions. Yeah. And they sound deceptively simple, but really hard, really hard. A lot of work is going to be required to really bring it all together. Really, we need to look at the past, have any idea, yes. um, because that gives us the time scales to look at how do, how do environments respond to abrupt climate change. So the idea is, but basically, I think Brittany is going to become more flammable. But one of the ways I'm, in my own research, looking at this question is going back into the past, thousands, tens of thousands of years ago even, and saying, okay, we know Britain was warmer in the past. Um, what was fire like that? Was there as much fire? Would we expect to see much fire? Yeah. And asking those kind of questions. Right. Jim Smith made a boutique vodka from crops grown in Chernobyl. We came up with the Chernobyl Artisan Vodka Project. We fermented the grain and distilled it to produce a kind of moonshine, a homemade vodka that if we know is pure and we've measured it using really sophisticated radiochemistry techniques and we can't find any artificial radioactivity in it. So we've only got one bottle so far, but our plan, our dream is to start producing this and market it and sell it and plough back the majority of the profits to those affected communities. Yeah. It's completely safe to drink. We've done an experiment in the abandoned area to look at the transfer of radiation and radioactivity into crops so we've been growing crops and we think it'd be wrong to, to make lots of money out of what happened at Chernobyl we want to try and see if we can use this to help those communities develop economically. Yuyana Kaminsky showed us how our dogs have us wrapped around their little paws. So one area that we got really interested in is to also look at other communicative interactions. So we, for example, got really interested in dogs' facial expressions and whether or not dogs would show 
certain facial expressions only when communicating with humans, maybe? Or would they use their facial expressions differently depending on the attentional state of the human? So all of those were then questions we were really interested in, basically moving into a new um, area of communication, which facial expression is, and try and see if this effect of domestication on dogs um, might be visible in other areas as well. One thing that got me really excited is that we could see that dogs would move their faces more, so show more expression, f more facial movement when someone was when a person was looking at them. But I think the most interesting result and something that I'm particularly interested in at the moment is something that we saw, which is that there is a certain facial movement that dogs produce, which is an eyebrow movement. And this eyebrow movement seems to be very attractive for people. So we could show that dogs that produce that eyebrow movement more often were rehomed from a shelter quicker than dogs that produce that eyebrow movement not so often. And any other behaviors that the dogs in this shelter environment showed didn't have the same effect. It was just this eyebrow movement that people seemed to unconsciously find so attractive that they had to take that dog home. <laughs> If that's got you wanting to hear more, you can find the full episodes in our library on this podcast feed. Plus, find out more about all our research online at port.ac.uk forward slash research and share these podcasts on social media using the hashtag LifeSolved.